Hello, and welcome to The Work Worth Doing, an education podcast where we talk about all things education and dive deep into what makes our guests influential educators. My name is John Simmons. I'm currently a middle school principal, and I'm here to share some of the meaningful work being done by everyday educators. My guest today is Mike Rule. Mike has served as a teacher, athletic coach, and school leader in the San Francisco Bay Area and Bozeman, Montana. He led the creation and implementation of the first fully functional performance-based school in Montana and is recognized as an authority in the areas of social justice, educational equity, mindfulness, and trauma-informed care in schools. His leadership experience in personalized competency-based education has made him sought after as a national and international presenter for numerous schools, districts, state agencies, and conferences. Mike earned his Bachelor of Arts degree in History and English from the University of San Francisco, as well as a Master's and Doctorate degrees in Educational Leadership from Montana State University. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's really good. So I'm just kind of waiting for a little housekeeper to come and then we can get started and talk about whatever you want to talk about. I, I'm, I was just kind of um, going through your, your book, um, shifted it a little bit too we're in the process of improving it the final draft is due in three weeks and then the editors will get a hold of it and make it a little less academic a little more user-friendly is that the um a different version of the leading the evolution book oh that one yeah this is totally different totally different totally different this is what what the leading the evolution book um is about that's where competency-based mm-hmm. ed what i found is um Competency-based education, I think, is great, but it's still, there's a lot of uh, people that still aren't responding necessarily really well. A lady named Rusalyn Ali um, has said that um, certain populations do even worse when you do that, you know, like on standardized tests or something. But but what what the new book is about is how is the need to go beyond just competency-based education, but actually include the the trauma-informed and the culturally responsive piece. Mm -hmm. So on the new book, I've got um, Nancy Dome, uh, who's really a leader in culturally responsive teaching. And I've got uh, a leader in Native American education, um, awesome. international education, the head of the Mexican program at the American school down in Guadalajara, um, and, a, and a top trauma expert in the world. And there's some brand new research out there that's available now, John, that's um, really powerful that has never been combined before. But what this book, this upcoming book does is it takes medical, psychological, neurological, and education research, and they all point in the same direction. But no one has put it together before. It's like everyone's trying to do the same thing, but in different ways. You know what's interesting? Like, um, you know, just reading the entry of your book or any other research, it's like uh, people know that our system's broken, right? Yeah. I mean, math scores haven't gone up forever. Um, we, we're still in the industrial system of, you know, that sorting out people and, and the competency based may not be the fixed. Like you said, it's a piece of the puzzle, right? Right. It's a piece of it and getting, getting your head around. It's not a system. What, what is it? It's where achievement is the variable and, and times are consistent. And I kind of flip those around a little bit. Right. right. Um, but, but people don't want to take the risk. Like, People know it has to get done because this, that's what I'm running into here is um, people know we need to do things different. People know what we've been doing isn't 
the best, but they're comfortable with it. You know, right. it's like my parents did it that way. So they're fine. So I'll be fine. I mean, they don't, they want to take that risk and just think differently. It's really hard. It's really, oh, really hard. It's, it's brutally hard. That's why, um, and hopefully with time, what I want to be able to do is hook you up with Crystal and uh, Cloverdale because what Cloverdale mm -hmm. has decided, it, we call it the school wellness wheel, where we take those three components of trauma competent systems where you really need to understand when I was with your staff, you know, one of the main themes we talked about is your job's not to teach kids, your job's to help them learn. Yeah. You need to become doctors of learning. And yeah. if you're a doctor of learning, then you need to understand the impacts that certain things have on the brain and learning and trauma, toxic stress, you know, uh, racism, all of these things all have an impact on brain, on brains and learning. Yeah. So what we need to be able to do is not just say, here's the magic bullet. Here's the magic bullet. It's a combination. There's nothing more complex than teaching humans whose brains are all over the place. And so um, Crystal down in Cloverdale is they have totally focused this year and that, you know, they were a really low performing school district and they just said, screw it. We don't care what the state or that we're just going to do it. They've totally adopted the competency based and the trauma and the culturally responsive stuff. And they're just delving hardcore into it. When you say they've adopted some of the, some of the pieces you just mentioned beyond the competency piece, mm -hmm. um, did they have to develop that themselves then? Because there's not much out. They're part there's... of the book. Crystal's part of the book. And so okay. I'm training them. The, okay. the book, I'll send it to you right when we're done here, the new book. Yeah. Um, What's it called? The final draft is due in three weeks. It'll be out probably, hopefully by summer. Okay. So you'll have the first version of it. And it's, it's not done yet, but the first two chapters are okay. Um, it's getting there. But... Um, it's using proficiency scales and learning goals as a new curriculum, but it's also those other pieces of understanding what, what is competency-based instruction is trauma-informed because it's personalized. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole idea is that trauma is personalized. Uh, racism is personal. You know, culture is personal. All of these things are personal, but our school system is standardized. So how do we personalize our school system? And that's how all of this comes together. Um, and you know, the new uh, Surgeon General for California, Nadine Burke Harris, first mm -hmm. time there's ever been a Surgeon General in California. Um, she's an expert on ACEs and childhood trauma mm -hmm. and all of the things that if we don't deal with those things, what happens to adults? And that's what we see a bunch of, you know. So what we're saying is there's things through the trauma research that we know work. If you do these things, people get better. So why wouldn't schools do these things? The American um, Pediatric Society represents over 60,000 doctors has spent the last eight years trying to get this message out, but they can't get the message out because they don't have the platform for everyone to hear it. There's no one who has the platform like schools do. Mm -hmm. And so if we're able to do these things, I guess I look at it this way. Here's the, here's the gist of the book and the gist of the idea with the wellness wheel. We know, like you said, that this whole thing is kind of broken. It's not working. And trauma and toxic stress and all of these things impact the brain negatively. We know that. So the question is, are there things we can do to heal those brains? Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And the answer is yes. And what we know these things, there are 39 research proven things that you can do that actually can heal traumatized and damaged brains and bodies. And when you do these things, people get better. And so the whole point is, why would we not be doing this in schools if our whole focus is brains and learning? Well, <laughs> there's some roadblocks there that, you know, immediately come to mind. But I mean, you know, um, so the so the book is really it's it's a persuasive argument to say we got to do it different and focus more on the wellness of a kid and, and the trauma as well as the academics along those lines. What it is, is 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 this. The beauty is the things that you can do to heal traumatized brains also builds resilience in non traumatized brains. So it's a win win. So the, the goal and the, the gist is every school needs to be a, a uh, healing and resiliency centered organization first, then you're going to get higher results. Mm -hmm. Just throwing new things doesn't lead to higher levels of learning because we're not addressing the real issue. Mm -hmm. So ultimately at the top of the wheel is still personalized mastery based education. We want people operating at the highest level possible, yeah. but we're addressing those other things first. And so instead of our schools being a curriculum center, mm -hmm. we're a resilience center, resiliency center. You know, you said uh, like Solution Tree is really excited about your book mm -hmm. and you're going to get it out. You're working out with some, you're working with some, you know, good people making these things happen in the schools. Yeah. So kind of what's, what's your hope or vision for how this all rolls out and plays out? You know, ultimately, I think that this book can be a real game changer because it's the first time that we've actually taken educational research, medical research, neurological research, um, psychological research, all of the research from these different fields, and we've combined it in a coherent system that can move schools forward. It's um, Nadine Burke Harris, the Surgeon General, she's the one that said, we, we need a comprehensive framework and a model where this can actually happen. And that I think is what the school wellness wheel is. So it's things like, if we want to have mastery based education and truly have people demonstrating um, mastery, mm -hmm. critical skills and content, why aren't we doing things like bringing mindfulness into the school for in a purposeful way? talking about meditation, teaching teachers what co-regulation is when kids start to amp up. Mm -hmm. Kids can amp us up. We all know that, right? There's a human connection piece there. If kids can amp us up, can we bring things down? You know, all of the work that you um, have shared with me and, you know, um, just get, just kind of talking about uh, look, you know, the, the mindset and, and being mindful of just what we're doing. It, it, it really gets me jazzed about the work we do. It really does. Doesn't it? <laughs> it, 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 it like, it's like, I'm excited about my job because I do feel like we're, we have this tremendous opportunity. Um, it's just, there are so many roadblocks and um, yeah. that that's the thing, you know, and I'm listening to you talk and, and you've got great support because you've got your connections with, um, you know, the Marzano research team, which mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's enormous, you know, solution tree and, you know, you've been around the country. So you, you've got, I think you've got a great opportunity to, you know, plant those seeds and get something to take off. Uh, it's yeah. just like here locally for me, people get excited when you start talking about change, but then really they just want to go back to what they're comfortable with. They don't, the, making that next step is, is challenging. And then we have the pressure 
of, you know, they want results, you know, that's sure. the accountability piece. And sure. um, a lot of what you are talking about, it's so new, it's still experimental to a degree. It is. And that's what we're having a couple of schools and down the road, I'd love if you're involved, but the, the medicine wheel or the wellness wheel that we talk about is actually based on the, the medicine wheel um, from Native American culture and philosophy. Say, say that the whole thing again. The, the wellness wheel is based yeah. on the medicine wheel? Yeah, this, the okay. medicine wheel is really um, common in a lot of Native American, pretty much all Native American tribes. And it's about healing, um, resilience, uh, building a strong community, strong people. Um, and so it's really, it's based on that whole thing. And I, I think you're right that people really, they, they revert to the mean, they revert to what's comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we have an uh, unbelievable opportunity. What COVID has presented us with as a gift to be able to really shift things and not just go back to the way things were. Because what I love to say is, what happened last spring, every school in America really feels pressure to score well on these state tests or these nationalized tests, you know, these standardized tests that we give. And, you know, there's some sort of inherent pressure that we want our kids to do well on these things. Well, what happened to all of those tests, including the SAT and the ACT all over the country last year? They, they stopped. They didn't happen. They didn't happen anywhere. Yeah. And we're still alive. The world is still <laughs> going around the sun. Everything's yeah. fine. So this fear that we had, that we're, oh my gosh, we, we have to be accountable to all of this stuff. Ah, all of it stopped and everything is still good. So I think there's really an opportunity here to take a breath and to look back and say, what is it we really want our schools to be? Mm -hmm. We really want it to be that we're just these curriculum centers based in the old industrial age models where cohorts of kids just go through and we plow through curriculum and then they move to the next grade and we just do that for 12 years? Or do we want to do something where we really help kids learn at a high level so that they can contribute to society down the road and be healthy individuals, you know, personally? So I think there's an unbelievable opportunity to shift things if, like you said, we've got some really strong leaders with a vision who can move through the discomfort. You got to lean into the pain, lean into the discomfort and say, um, we can do things differently. And it's the easy way out. I say it's the coward's way out just to revert to the way. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you on that. Um, but, you know, you have communities, some very affluent people who, um, sure. and I mean, you, I'm sure you see all kinds of communities, um, mm -hmm. but they're okay with the system being status quo because their kids thrive in it, right? Sure. You know, we, mm -hmm. we, we have, um, and I'm, I've changed it at my school, but <clears throat> we have this mentality, you know, still at the high school where the advanced classes aren't necessarily because the kids are advanced, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's because yeah. their parents are good advocates or, you know, we discourage certain populations of people. And so, you know, we track these kids and that 25, 30% of kids that are tracked together with affluent parents, they do really well. And yep. the rest of those kids don't. And we have catered to that. And it's, it's really frustrating. So, um, But I, I think what's really interesting, kind of the, the underbelly of that whole argument, and, and 
I trust me, I, I get that. I actually began my career um, in Catholic education. No way. Oh yeah, yeah. In, uh, <laughs> just outside of San Francisco, um, Moreau Catholic High School, a really high-performing school. Yeah. And and then I, you know, but I was raised in public education and spent the bulk of my career in public education. And what I found is, at the top, there's no difference between the top Catholic schools or the top public schools. The top kids are the top kids. Yeah. What the private Agreed. schools don't have to deal with is the that bottom, the challenging kids. They can just not even accept those and not have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one issue. But what we've seen, and if you look at the research, it's pretty interesting. If you look at colleges across the country, it is really typical for virtually every college to have about a 50% dropout rate in terms of their freshman class. Mm -hmm. You know, kids who drop out at some point don't return, whatever. And if you look at the research, and this is pretty much at every college across the country, they've seen a massive increase in terms of mental health um, with the two big issues being depression and anxiety. Those are real issues that colleges are dealing with with those kids that are now coming mm -hmm. into their walls. And so they're starting to look at it. We've got a lot of depression and anxiety. The CDC talks about that. You're talking about roughly up to 60% of the kids in a classroom are probably dealing with some things. What does real deep learning look like? Authentic learning. What is really understanding how you learn? What is understanding other people? What is all of that? What is the real world all about? And so when we talk about the school wellness wheel, I think that's what it is. It's how do you really truly make yourself healthy? How do you mm -hmm. make yourself and put yourself in the position where you're best able to learn at a high level? And ultimately that you are learning at a high level, not just re regurgitating information, but you can synthesize information. Yeah. You can apply information. Well, that's what I, I'm excited about with that's what it's done for us at this school moving towards the competency based which you've which you've acknowledged it's not the only answer but for us you know we're trying to drive home the point and it's a lot of resistance that it, that it's not about memorizing facts it, right. it's about learning concepts and learning how to learn and learning how to communicate what you've learned it's it's not just the memorizing and math has been really hard to make that shift you know to mm -hmm. think about they, they see math as like there's just one answer. So there's one way to do a problem. And that's just not how it works. You know, the, yeah. engin the engineers of today, they don't do math. They apply exactly. math, you know, exactly. And, and, and so, you know, in talking about your ideas and your book and some of the work that it's led me to do, um, we're, we are preparing kids for a future that doesn't exist right now. Do you, yep. do you think that our system is going to be able to make a shift to, like to maybe drop some core subjects that we currently do to pick up new kind of course subjects that will be preparing them more for the future jobs. I don't know if that made sense. No, I think it totally does. And I think that it's incumbent upon schools to make that shift. They have to. There was a really good podcast on that's right at the top of my head. Um, I'll send it to you once I remember uh, what it is. But they were speaking um, to the guy who's the head of college board and how he was saying, we're doing math totally incorrectly. Mm -hmm. um, he said, really, if you look at the real world, and there are a number of studies that, that really speak to this, really what the kids need to be able to, to do is basic, basic arithmetic. They need those skills. Mm -hmm. They need kind of to be able to understand 
linear equations. And really, they need to be able to understand data. It's all about big data. That's what we need to be able to take bits of information, data, numbers, and make sense of those things. Mm -hmm. All of the other things that we've been doing for 150 years, really, they applied 150 years ago. But yeah. that's not what the world is today. So do we need to shift? I think schools will be forced to shift or they're going to become irrelevant to continue doing the things that we're doing. You know, and, and I was talking to one of my co-authors recently when we talk about culturally responsive pedagogy and really understanding the needs and different cultures and different people. Our schools are culturally responsive but we're culturally responsive to middle-class white culture in an industrial age. That's what we were built for. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're still doing. Yep. And so for people who succeed in that, they don't want to change because they say, this is great. But again, the world isn't that anymore. No. And yeah. we as professionals, a real interesting um, concept is before Louis Pasteur, you know, started mm -hmm. talking about biology and he was the, the forefather of germ theory. People thought truly, even in the medical field, that illness is brought about because of evil. It's God's will. There's spirits that are inhabiting the body. You know, there's a lot of other reasons. Hey, you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. Yep. Germ theory said, hey, there's something from the outside that is coming in and impacting our biology. Yep. And that's what's making us sick. And then there's things we can do with antibiotics or you know, other medicinal practices that can heal that. And so germ theory shifted everything in the medical field. It changed hospitals and it changed medical science. Mm -hmm. I believe that trauma theory is right now changing schools and changing educational science. It's changing learning science as well. That we need to realize these things have a fa uh, impact on learning so this is the purpose of education. This is what we're all about, to truly prepare kids to be successful. It's not just make sure they pass high school algebra. You know, what's the, is, is that the point? Or is it, mm -hmm. hey, we need to really be able to train kids how to take information and do something with it, to understand it, to apply it, to move forward. So I think it's, change, schools will change. We, we have to. It's, um... I, I am in full agreement with you. Um, you've said a couple of things along the, on the lines of trauma that just, um, you know, every time I think about implementing something, I, I you know, I, I look at the roadblocks and kind of start strategizing how to get around those. And yeah. one of the things you said was, um, and you see it in our politics too, just how split our country is, but we have a, a, a certain religious sect in this, community here sure where even if you say we want to work on social emotional learning mm -hmm. that they get their hackles up sure. and then you say things like <laughs> then you say things like mindfulness and they're like hey yep. you're going down the wrong road that's right and then I've if you it. say the word meditation they lose their marbles they just like we're just not going to have that in our public schools so yeah <laughs> so how do you tackle some of those problems or how do you see how do you see us winning the battle there you know again i think that kind of goes back to the old way hey that what we're doing is is working for us in the america of the 1950s mm. you know when we were still in industrial era and schools were designed to let's identify the kids who can really do school well 
and mm-hmm. they're the ones that'll go to college. And for those other people, there's jobs for them, there's military careers, there's other mm-hmm. things for them to do. But the world is so different now. Yeah. Like college isn't necessarily the, even the end all be all. That truly is just continued learning down the road. Mm-hmm. And so I think that people need to understand that this isn't just bringing in some, you know, new age, woo woo, right, sciencey stuff. There is science behind what we're talking about now. Um, a good friend of mine, Robert Macy, is the head of the International Trauma Center out of Harvard. And he likes to use the term, the issue is in the tissue. When people are going through psychological stress or whatever, there is an impact on the brains and the bodies of people. We know that now. The science is clear. Mm-hmm. So this is not just, you know, new age woo-woo. There's science behind these things. Yeah that we need to be able to understand what's happening. And when you look at the original ACEs study that was done Mm -hmm. in San Diego back in the 1990s, the original ACEs study, when we think of trauma, a lot of times we think of, ooh, that's those groups of people. That's those people in the high poverty areas or, you know, uh, some minority groups. Ooh, that's that's them, that's not us. The original ACEs study actually surveyed over 17,000 people and the vast majority of those people were upper middle class, white, college educated people. And what, that fa- what they still found is, wow, the things that happen when people are young has a dramatic impact on what happens to them when they're older. So that's what started this whole thing. And so I guess in a- the answer to all of that is that, that you were asking me that there's certain people who say, we don't want to talk about meditation, mindfulness, any of that stuff. What I would say is just look at the science that we're talking about today. When we talk about PTSD, when we talk about any of those things, that's a reality in life. And there's things that we can do to help heal those things. Um, Mindfulness is one of the few things that was originally accepted um, for PTSD uh, treatment. That Hey, just be able to kind of calm your brain for a little bit. And, you know, let's, let's take some breaths. All of that stuff is scientifically backed now. And a lot of the religious pushback um, that I see from some right-wing groups, and I have some extensive experience with that, maybe it's just a change in language. If you don't like the term meditation, how about thoughtful reflection? How about prayer? Right. Is that. (laughs) And so I don't think there's anybody who, who won't, you know, who's, maybe a, a, a staunch religious believer. And I think I'm you're really smart by too. changing. Yeah, it, it's how you, it, you can get the same thing um, and you don't have to fight about the, what you call it. It's, it's actually doing the act that's important, right? Right. When people so, are prayer, when they're in prayer, that's the same thing. They can actually look at brain scans and body scans of the people, that things that are, you know, when they're in mm-hmm. prayer and what's happening to them. Those are positive things. Uh, yeah, I think I think you just really clarified something for me. Yeah, getting it away from this kind of you know new age kind of thing to no, it's it's just healthy research based um, strategies to help help people stay calm and think clearly and stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And if you want your kids learning at the highest level, and what parent doesn't? Why would you not help them create a healthy brain? 
If, yeah. if you want kids to have a good lifestyle, you tell them, hey, don't smoke, don't drink, do some exercise. <laughs> that just makes total sense. Well, why yeah. would we not do those same things for the brain? The brain yeah. can get impacted. So do some breathing, do some mindfulness. Well, do some you know, and that's and, and, and I think uh, people during this time have really had to find what that is for them. You know, for me, I yeah. get outside, you know, and getting outside, whether it's with my dog or skiing or whatever, it, it does that what you're talking about. It just kind of settles the brain and clears the brain because I can take deep breaths and, you know, reflect. Now, now, what you just said, there's amazing research about that connection with nature. Mm hmm. And just getting out, feeling the dirt, the real air, mm -hmm. the direct sunlight, that has an impact. That is one of the 39 things that we can do to help heal the brains and bodies. Of where does that one, where do that 39 things come from? What is that from? Uh, psychological research over the past okay. 20, 30 years. Gotcha. There are those things. So why wouldn't we yeah. do them in school? Yeah. No, I, I, we, we don't do it in school just like we've talked about. There's just, you know, people are just comfortable with this old, system hey um a couple things yeah. you know you mentioned some podcasts and you and i listen to podcasts all the time mm -hmm. and there's a new one out that um you've you you should you really should listen to it's yeah. called nice white parents okay and it's it's on serial so it's the i think it's like the third third or fourth season of serial and serial is a great podcast but it but the series and i think there's six episodes it's called nice white parents Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I, gotta I, check it out. I, you gotta check it out because it, it it's a kind of a investigative doc documentary of just looking at how there's and i'm not sure the area but where was it? i think it might have been near washington dc someplace very urban uh they, they went to they went to school choice you know because they're trying to solve the equity issue and sure. address it and let instead of you know segregating they want let people choose their schools well they still segregate right yep. and so um there's a, a principal who um you know gave a lot of tours because all the parents want tours of the schools and you know you you give your pitch for your special programs for their special kids to try and get this you know oh yeah these white parents <laughs> and 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 that's what they're looking for they go what can you do for me they don't really care about the rest of the school they just want their special program Mm -hmm. And so this there there's a school that that was um, pre predominantly black and Hispanic, and all of the white dominated schools were just overrun. So they they had to go someplace else. Mm -hmm. So there was a parent who came into one of the schools, and he's like, "Well, would you do a French immersion program?" And she's and the principal's like, "Sure, whatever." You know, she's just trying to mean stay stay viable. Yeah, and so. They basically came in and um, it's a fascinating story of how they are just clueless to the fact that um, you know, their attitude is, well, you guys are lucky we're here. And the other people like, well, we were, we were good before you got here, <laughs> you know? And now it's, now it's like two schools within a school. It's not even the same school, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's an interesting story. So I think you'd enjoy it. Oh, I, I wrote that down. I'm going to check that out. Can can I? I should have started with this. Um, how did you get here, Mike? Like, it, you know, you're pretty good. passionate about the work you're doing, and yeah, yeah. you know, trauma and wellness. Um, there had to be, I mean, because because you went to school when that stuff didn't exist, and so oh, there yeah. had to be some pivotal moments in your career that that have turned you this direction. 
Yeah, that's that's a great question, John. You know, I I look at it. I was um, I was an exceedingly traditional teacher, mm-hmm. and then a tra- very traditional principal. Um, I taught for 19 years in the San Francisco Bay Area, and then in sorry, you had to be. You were a football coach, right? I was a football coach. <laughs> I was a football coach and a history teacher. And it, yeah. doesn't it doesn't get more, more it doesn't get more than that. <laughs> and that was me you know I went through my life and my job and I I taught my history stuff and the kids laughed at my jokes and they took tests and we moved on and everything was just fine and that was the vast bulk of my career um, did that for 19 years then I became a principal and I was an exceedingly traditional principal if kids are sent to me for breaking the rules, well, here's what we do when you break these rules and we have behavior codes and, you know, this, I, it was very traditional and, you know, I thought I was doing a really good job and I was, you know, I got along well with kids. They liked being in my class, you know, things were fine. Um, but then probably about 10 years ago um, in Bozeman, we kind of had a, a shift in how we were going to do our, our whole leadership um, structure. And I ended up, taking responsibility for the alternative program. And that was something that before I thought the alternative program, that's where you send those loser kids and the loser teachers and they dumb everything down and they just want to get them a diploma and they move on. And that was my image. And now all of a sudden I'm in charge of that program. And that was way outside my box. And it's like, Oh, geez. Okay. Well, whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to straighten these kids out. I'm going to make them learn what, real mm-hmm. life is all about. They're going to toe the line. And, you know, okay, if I'm in charge, here's what it's going to look like. My old football coaching stuff came out. Yeah. But the more I started to really get into what was happening with the kids, what was happening with the teachers, I started to question, what is it we really are trying to do? What is it we really want? And the more I started to learn about what these kids were going through, I started to understand that alternative education in lots of places isn't what I thought it was. Um, and I, I still didn't think it was reaching its potential, but that's where real education is happening, where mm-hmm. you can really understand what is, it, what is the goal? Is the goal just to have a kid pass a class? Well, anyone can, that's not, if that's what we're looking for, that's, uh, that's what, a, what a horrible goal to have, just pass a class. Just be mm-hmm. done with it. That's enduring school and not being able to get something out of it. So I really started to shift. Then I started to work with the Hannah Boy Center in Sonoma, California um, for seriously at-risk kids. And I was able to work with some of the top trauma and toxic stress experts in the world. And it shifted everything. It's like, this is what we've been missing. We're so focused over the past 30 years on the standards movement and standardized testing and all of that that we've lost true learning and understanding and the brains and the bodies of the people. So I shifted totally. And the more research I do, it's like, oh my gosh, how did I miss this for 30 years of my career? I I, I was focused on the stuff, not focused on the people. Mm -hmm. Now I've shifted. We need to focus on the people if we want them to master the stuff. That's great. The the more I learn, the the more... Uh, like you realize you don't know, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's crazy. But like my entire career has been in the reform movement, you know, mm-hmm. schools have to reform because it was, it was, I got into school, you know, I think uh, some of the Tim's reports came out and, you know, um, we just no child left behind. And, um, but the one thing that, that I listened to this summer from the Marzano summit, 
Um, mm -hmm. Phil Warwick, he talked about how, you know, prior to No Child Left Behind, education was really built for uh, some succeeding and, and some not, you know, like kind of like the bell-shaped yeah. curve. And it's like, mm -hmm. we just know out the gate and, and, and teachers were very proud of the fact that they would tell their classes, well, a lot of you aren't going to make it, you know, yep. and, and, and the time the, to man up. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the concept that came with no child left behind, even though there's a lot of really big mistakes in it is a big mind shift to no, we want all of our kids making it, you know, yes. And, yes. and, and even though, we still are suffering through some of the high accountability, high stakes testing. Um, I do think that it's because of that we, we are allowed to explore some of these new ideas where like standards based or competency based, they wouldn't exist without that. You know? Ab yeah, absolutely. I do think No Child Left Behind is a, is a great idea. It became politicized and you, know, you had a lot yeah. of non-experts non coming in and making expectations. But my question with No Child Left Behind that people don't talk about either is what about those real high performing kids? Were we really meeting their needs or were they just jumping through the hoops, getting their mm -hmm. A's and moving on? Were we really asking them and pushing them to the highest level either? We yeah. really weren't meeting the needs of any group. We just said, here's what we want. And we plow through curriculum, just kind of middle of the road. And some kids are going to do well with that. And some kids aren't. And that's just how the world works. And let's move on. And yeah. I think education in schools is the one time in people's lives where we can say, no, we want to set you up truly to be successful and give you those skills that will truly set you up for the future. So do you, what is the purpose of K-12 education then? I think the purpose of K-12 education is what is it exactly we want our kids to know and be able to master and be good at? And how do we make sure that all of our kids are able to get to that level. Um, Dylan William, I, I love what he says. Um, he says, we, we demand proficiency for everybody and excellence for, for many. Mm -hmm. So we need to raise the bar. It's not like the, the bell curve. Some kids are gonna meet it. Some kids are gonna be below. No, we want all of our kids to be able to, to have those critical skills that will allow them to be successful in the future. And those critical skills there's academic skills without a doubt, but there's also human skills, yep. those soft skills, being able to truly connect, understand other people, take care of your own body and your own brain. So, so does success in public K-12 education mean all students go on to college? That I think is what we need to be able to talk about moving forward. In the, for most of the 1900s, college was the measure of success yeah well there's a whole lot of people who don't go to college and are successful oh, yeah. and colleges themselves are wrestling with this what is our purpose because you know that's there's a especially with covid colleges are are on the hook just financially you know economically to, to remain economically viable uh, what mm -hmm. are we gonna, what are we and, gonna I, and i i think a lot of companies especially the tech companies these days are are wanting you know, a certain type of person, you know, a yeah. learner and that kind of thing, but they don't need act. They don't need to come in like job ready. They kind of train them in their systems. Absolutely. And what those companies want are they they'll tell you, just send them to me with the basic skills being met, but they want more human skills. Yeah. 
And where, you know, if you look at it, um, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. Yeah. Do they even have college diplomas? I don't <laughs> Honorary think they degrees. Do. They have honorary degrees. <laughs> honorary degrees. They, they yeah. did okay without right. their college diploma. Right. So again, that's the shift that's happening. And education can be at the forefront of this shift where mm-hmm. they can be constantly reacting and pushing back. And I so think that's, that, I think it's just, you know, along the lines of kind of changing what we do and how we do it. It's also what we say is success, right? Because, to, yeah. because right now success is a, a good test score, state test score, and you go to a four-year university, you know, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons why, um, some programs like the, you know, AVID, for example, I've, I, I think a lot of their strategies are great, but their measure of success is that the kid goes to a four-year university. Exactly. And, and, I, and I just think, God, we got we to gotta broaden that because a lot of kids are super successful um, and intelligent and they have learned how to learn, but they, they don't go to four-year universities, you know? Absolutely. So... Absolutely. That's why we're right in the midst of a massive, massive shift. Now, I did just send you um, on your phone the okay. Freakonomics podcast. It's called America's Math Curriculum. Doesn't oh, sweet. Up. I will so listen I think to that. You'll, you'll really like that. But no, I think, John, you, you've hit the, the, the main issue here is what are we trying to do? Yeah. And if it's just plow through curriculum and standards so that we can maintain the status quo. We're already doing that. Yeah, we can just keep doing that. But we know it's not working, like you said earlier. Everybody yeah. knows it. They just, the big fear, I think, with teachers, and I was one of them, I, I've been one of the, I've been in this field for a long time, is we like to be the experts. When I'm in my class and the kids come to me, I'm the expert. And we're really comfortable with that. And to be able to get outside that box and say, we need to do something different, and I have no frame of reference for what that looks like, whoa let's just let's just stop that's that's too scary that's why we need really great leaders to be able to come together and say we're all going to get through this together and it's going to be hard because we don't really know where we're heading but that's what pioneers do right i don't really know what's out there but we're going to keep going we're going to move forward and i think that we're going to take care of each other we're going to have some mindful breathing we're going to eat well (laughs) we're going to understand how to take care of ourselves because this is a really heavy lift. And if we're able to do that and work together to really move our program forward, then we're gonna be able to pass those same skills onto our kids so that they can be successful and take the torch down the road. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, so one more question for you. Yeah. I'm gonna wrap it up. What advice would you have for new educators? Oh, well, best advice I'd have for new educators is get ready to get outside the box. Because there is an opportunity here to do something outside the box. And it is, the change is coming. There's no doubt about it. And so, again, you can help lead the change or you can be kicked, dragging, kicking and screaming, you know, dragged, kicking and screaming into the new millennium. But the change is happening. So put on your seatbelt and let's go. Love it. Hey, uh, Mike, I super appreciate you taking time on your holiday to, to wake up early and talk to me. So oh, absolutely, it's all, always a pleasure. And um, I will get back to you for sure. I know we have many conversations coming up down the road. So we do. Good to see you. I, I will send you a copy of um, the book right now that will be out in the summer. And so you'll be one of the first people to see it. But I think you'll love it. Awesome. Hey, you have a great day. Take care you of yourself. Too,
Thank Thanks, you, man. John. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Mike and I met remotely via Zoom to do this podcast. And I want to thank him for helping me with my growth as a principal and also for taking time to share his expertise and his passion. Thank you, Mike. If you'd like to learn more about Mike, please follow him on Twitter at Mike Rule and check out his book, Leading the Evolution. Huge thank you to my daughter who helped me with this podcast. She's my producer, my editor, my coach. So thank you so much. Uh, She's my inspiration to be creative and try new things. So thank you so much, Alyssa. Love you.